Welcome to the Dividend Cafe weekly market commentary focused on dividends in your portfolio and dividends in your understanding of economic life. Hello and welcome to today's COVID and Markets brought to you by the Dividend Cafe of the Bonson Group. This is David Bonson bringing you today's missive, Monday, June 22nd. Kind of an interesting day in the market. Um, I mean, I guess I'm not supposed to say that a 400-point intraday move is a boring day, but relative to kind of where we've been, it was reasonably boring. Um, futures were pointing down about 300 points last night, netted out for fair value, and um, that number improved a little throughout the evening. At 3.15 this morning, they were pointing to kind of a flattish market open, maybe down a little bit. And then after the market opened, it traded down as much as 200 points and traded up as much as 200 and closed up a little over 150. So intraday from the low level to high level, you had a 400-point move, 350 to the close. So, you know, it seems like a, a positive thing. You you were down 200 and you closed up 150. over. And then, you know, when you count the futures last night, it was an even better improvement than that. But it still kind of, to me, shows skittishness. Not a lot of uh, resolve. Um, markets not trading real uh, with a lot of conviction up or down. That's been true for a few days now. Um, but let's just kind of go through and cover our normal categories of things, and we'll see where uh, markets are headed throughout the week. In terms of the health data, we had 30,000-plus new cases reported Friday and Saturday nationwide. It went down to 26, 27,000 Sunday, and it looks like as of press time, Right now, we'll be if we're not at 30, we'll be just shy of it. Now, some of the southern states that had seen some case growth, uh, though that has reversed over the last few days. Arkansas, Louisiana, Tennessee, Alabama have all seen their case growth decline a bit. And then, when you look to the kind of Fab Four, uh, Florida, Arizona, California, Texas, the four states that are getting most attention. Um, there's some different stories amongst those four. And so I think we're getting to a point where those four states have to be differentiated from one another, even though they're leading the pack in new case growth. Um, I'm going to uh, unpack some of that here in a moment. O on the day, though, uh, Monday, today, with the uh, Johns Hopkins data closed for the day, we did see 475,000 new tests done, positivity rate of about 5.5%. Uh, so pretty, pretty strong day, uh, you know, a lot of new testing still being done. It's interesting to me that with 400, well, we really were well over 500,000 tests done over the last few days, getting close to 600 on a couple of them. California has been doing about, um, 90 to a hundred thousand of those tests, which is a huge proportion of the national testing. And so when you look at the um, 3,000 and now 4,000, you know, they're, they're seeing this new case growth. As a percentage, their positivity rate is actually less than the country's positivity rate, which is very interesting. And the other, the other data point that I was just studying here over the last hour before recording, 57% of the total uh, positive COVID cases in California going back from the beginning are in the Latino Hispanic population in California, but it's 70% of the case growth over the last 10 days. And of course, that's way higher than the, the proportion of the Latino Hispanic population in California as a, a total you know demographic. So the reason I bring that up is to say that something is not 
it, it, this is not explained by the economic reopening. Okay, you don't have a broad economic reopening and then a heavy concentration of case growth in one particular demographic. The the economic reopening thesis is pretty easy to establish when it's kind of pro rata and evenly distributed across the state. That's not the case here, not to mention the adjusted for testing data in California looks benign. Now, it does not look so benign in Arizona and Florida. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, now, in terms of Texas, and I had to do all this research myself, Texas makes a, a, re, a spreadsheet available online that shows their daily testing, county by county. And they were averaging 28,426 tests per day statewide when you when you you know aggregate all the county testing. And then, of course, with this big uh, surge in cases um, that, that we're reporting over the last few days, their testing was 46,000 on Friday, 67,000 on Saturday. And uh, actually, I probably should have looked at Sundays as well before I recorded here, but didn't. But my point being, they, again, um, more so, more pronounced in California, would have a reduced case growth adjusted for testing over the weekend if, if all these numbers are accurate, which this is on the, the Texas Health Department's website. So you do see different stories in California, Texas, Arizona, and, and Florida. They're not all dealing with the same situation. Um, now, in terms of Florida, uh, for today here, Monday, I wouldn't jump the gun yet. It does look like their new cases dropped uh, about 500 or so uh, from yesterday, a little over 500. The most important thing, and obviously it would just be awful if this were to reverse, although perhaps some people wouldn't think so, but you know, most decent human beings would think it were awful, but it's just undeniable that what has continued to be really, you know, thank you for this. I mean, I'm a, it's a blessing, but stubbornly low is the new hospitalization data and obviously the new mortalities. And you see the median age breakout in the counties that are, are giving that data, particularly in Florida. Um, it just seems almost inescapable. The conclusion is that the new case growth we're seeing in the virus is dramatically less severe and finding itself into much younger and indeed healthier people. And so that may be a really good explanation for why hospitalizations and deaths are trending in the right way, which is down. Um, we obviously need to continue monitoring the case growth in those states. Um, but as of right now, I do think that's a pretty logical explanation as to why the markets aren't responding worse. And, and again, that continued higher testing, the high recovery rates, the lower severity, um, you know, it's a mixed bag of data, but we have to take it all the good with the bad. Okay. Um, I, I just want to make a comment. Okay. Cause it bugged me so bad and it was like four in the morning and I was only on my first cup of coffee, but I got this big headline that stated Brazil's caseload of positive coronavirus had doubled on Sunday. And and it was from, you know, large respected media outlets, Brazil's doubling of cases. And so, you know, I, I clicked through, read the article, and, and look, to their credit, they, they said this. I guess they probably could have let it alter their headline if they wanted to. But it said in the article, 
that the three largest cities in Brazil, Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, and forgive me, I'm forgetting the third, didn't report on Saturday. So the Sunday data was two days worth, which means that the cases didn't double because it was up less, it was up a little less than double. It included two days worth of data. So, you know, by the way, the situation is pretty bad in Brazil. I'm not making light of their overall situation, but this is just kind of the point I'm making that a headline referring to an almost doubling of cases in a day and then mentioning, oh, but that's not including Saturday and Sunday together. This is this is the the quality of media reporting that we're getting right now. And, and I, I would I would suggest that um, we take these things, you know, in the context that uh, they deserve to be taken. Um, there is pretty positive news, although, you know, I don't want to jump the gun on this because it is uh, not yet even phase one, right? They got FDA approval, but they still are soliciting volunteers for screening and then and then it'll go to um, trials in August with COVID positive patients. But what I'm referring to is the maker of remdesivir, which is the FDA approved uh, version of a therapeutic that is primarily for more severe cases at a hospitalization level. And it is an intravenous uh, therapeutic, which means it can only be administered by doctors in a hospital. It's having great results at reducing hospitalizations, reducing mortalities, meaning the days one's in the hospital have gone down dramatically um, after five days of treatment. That's how they got their FDA acceleration. But they have created an inhaler version, and to the degree that um, an inhaled formulation will end up, if it were to end up getting approval, it would be a really big step um, towards towards reducing hospitalizations and hopefully creating some success at, at an earlier stage of the virus as opposed to right now where it's mostly being used in, in more severe cases, Okay. So um, in conclusion, you know, you saw more case growth today. I expect you'll see it for a few more days. I don't see the catalyst to what will reverse until later into the week. Uh, but, of course, we'll keep watching it to see, you know, when some of these states have their numbers uh, go head the other way, as we've seen in some of the other southern states. But my kind of concluding health data points on the day, case growth in those states is a problem, should be monitored. Uh, it seems incontestable that the nature of the new cases are less severe and in younger, healthier people, and that hospitalizations and deaths are trending in the right way. As far as market technical action, um, the, there is, to me, one particular contrarian indicator sticking out. I put a chart of this at covidandmarkets.com today. I think is most profound, and that is the street still uh, on the – on a speculator level, and obviously some of these people are hedging, but there still remains a very large net short position in the futures market, uh, both from a contrarian standpoint and just the technical reality of future covering. You have um, a, a, a positive indicator there. WTI crude closing above $40 today. It's somewhat symbolic, but I still think powerful in the sense that um, you know, you can look at the last two months as being a short period of time or a long period of time. But in two months, you know, I cannot recall anything having as dramatic of a narrative shift as where oil was two months ago to where it is now. Um, in housing data, uh, the this frustrates me so much. Uh, delinquencies in May were up to 4.3 million. 
and that is 723000 more than the month prior. That's 8% of all U.S. mortgages. Okay, that's a high level of delinquencies. But why do I believe that's unsurprising? Because that includes the forbearance numbers that, you know, basically Congress made legal to not pay your mortgage via the CARES Act. So we have to see where some of those forbearances go in the months ahead. Um, but as far as non-forbearance delinquencies resulting in, in real traditional foreclosures, those numbers are not apparently taking up much at all. Um, I do expect to see a V-shaped recovery in home existing home sales volume. And the reason why, not only did it get you know just pummeled, obviously, in the month of May when there wasn't a lot of activity, but we, as I've reported you know, several times in recent days and weeks, the, the new purchase mortgage applications are so um, much higher, it, it uh, bodes well for actual home sales. Then we'll see it in that data with a mon- one-month lag. The annual stress test on the big banks are coming. You know, we do this every year in June, and, and it's a byproduct of the um, Federal Reserve regulatory apparatus post-financial crisis, uh, really to kind of measure the capital adequacy of our nation's banks. Uh, there's going to be a little more drama this year than normal, just obviously because of COVID. Um, Randy Quarles, who's the head of supervision at the Fed, announced that they're basically stress testing under three scenarios. One, a quick recovery one, a gradual recovery, and then one where there would be a, a recovery followed by a second drop. And they want to see how all these tests, how these banks kind of perform in their capital requirements after those different scenarios of stress testing. So you can expect that some will have implications into their dividend and certainly share buyback policies. Um, there is a chart at covidmarkets.com today I want to draw your attention that shows the, the decline in employment by each wage tier, you know, the lowest quartile, middle, upper, and then the upper, the highest uh, quartile of wage earners. And it just as clear as could be that where the biggest wage impact, uh, excuse me, employment decline has come from is where wages were lowest and the least impacts where wages were highest. I think that's a lot of why, you know, housing has not been affected. The COVID economy hurt people who were least likely to buy a house the most and it hurt people who were most likely to buy a home the least and everything in between. A lot of that's not surprising. This is all straight, by the way, from the Fed's semi-annual monetary report of last week, but I think there's a lot of social and economic implications that need to be understood. So I'm going to leave it there. That's our round the horn today for COVID markets. Futures are pointing up about 80 points or so as I record, and obviously that will bounce all around. We'll see. Um, plenty going on in the world. Reach out to anyone at the Bonson Group anytime, any questions you might have about COVID and markets. Thank you for listening. The Bonson Group is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk. There is no guarantee that the investment process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. 
Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. The Bonsa Group and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the Bonson Group and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for any related questions.